Hello and welcome to the Around the Nation podcast for the week of Monday, October 26th. I'm Pat Coleman. And I'm Keith McMillan. And we are wrapping up week eight of the Division Three football season as Selection Sunday looms ever closer. A, a handful of big uh, conference showdowns, which uh, either between two top teams or in the case of the Ohio Athletic Conference, between two of the top three teams. And if you figure that the Ohio Athletic Conference basically has two automatic bids, uh, the way things have gone the last few years, and that was basically a, a showdown for an automatic bid as well. That game, Keith, of course, between 10th-ranked Otterbein and 14th-ranked Capital, and um, you know, just to, to throw not only two top 15 teams, two teams likely battling for just one playoff spot, and by the way, they're crosstown rivals, and, the, and this game uh, pretty much turned out to uh, live up to all of those factors. Absolutely, of course, the, the finish, you know, on, on one side, they call it a great finish. On one side, they, they call it a collapse or, uh, you know, they had, they had a chance to really put themselves in a great position in, in the playoffs. And we're talking about Capital uh, having an 11-point lead in, in the final minutes there in the fourth quarter and uh, not being able to finish it out. Yeah, I mean, Pat, the, every reason for, for to have a big game, this is a big game. Like you said, rivalry, uh, possible, you know, playoff implications. And for Otterbein, you know, if you allow if you allow yourself to imagine that they can beat Mount Union, then then maybe they still have conference title implications in this game. Um, so, so many reasons for this to be to be a big game. And again, you know, we always end up talking about that that number two team behind Mount Union in the OAC having a pretty good chance at the playoffs. If and this is an important caveat because we we do say that a lot, but if it finishes with just the one loss, I got kind of a. Uh, maybe a snide email from an Otterbein supporter this week reminded me, of course, that Otterbein is still undefeated and hasn't lost to Mount Union yet. And I, and I, I had to just, you know, step back and remind him that Mount Union has won, uh, I, I'm guesstimating at this number now, but it's like 114 out of the last 115 Ohio Athletic Conference games. And I just kind of feel like you have to give uh, Mount Union the benefit of the doubt at some point. Yeah, well, they well, they say you you go with the trend until something breaks it, and and for Mountain Union, you know, winning that conference every season since 1994, I believe, it uh it's usually a safe assumption. But again, it's fair for 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 someone who backs Otterbein to say, you know, we ha- we haven't lost that game yet, and we ha- they have a chance. They have their, you know, I hate to use the cliche, but they have their destiny in their own hands when it comes to the to the conference title. And, uh, you know, if, if if people feel like this is the year Mountain Union is a little bit vulnerable and uh, and Otterbein, you know, obviously has its uh, is on a roll now. I mean, obviously, and in, in, in having that the the big senior leadership there at quarterback, it's always nice to have. Um, they have a chance. I mean, I don't see why why they don't. People who think uh, Mountain Union is down a little bit might want to take a bit of a closer look at the last two weeks box scores. Now, granted. Uh, against Heidelberg, two and five. Against Wilmington, one and six. You know that's not necessarily the best showcase for a uh, for for a uh, for an offense. But this is a you know over the past couple of weeks, Mountain Union's really begin to put the uh, put the offense together a little bit. Well, Pat, and we we really said it going back to that Capital game, the fourth quarter. Uh, Kurt Rocco leading a couple of scoring drives, and Mountain Union, you know, pulling out that victory, trailing twenty one fourteen, and then winning twenty eight twenty one against Capital. That was sort of potentially at the time we thought maybe a coming of age uh, drive for Kurt Rocco, and and something that obviously had the, the potential to propel Mountain Union onto an undefeated season. You know, you you get in that position 
where you know your te- a team hasn't lost a game. But these are these are all new guys for for Mountain Union. Not all new guys, but you know a, a, a number of of people in key positions. A lot of a lot of returning starters back, but a number of people in key positions that are different. So every team is different, and it's very easy for us to assume that uh that they're they're going to be the same number one ranked talented team that they always are but but yeah now that we've seen it since that capital game i think we've seen them start to get rolling and uh of course like you said not not against the strongest competition but you know dominance like today 56-0 not letting the other team even even have a dream of uh of of beating you uh, i think that's that's what number one teams do that's what elite teams do and and mount union seems to be living up to its standard the past few weeks. And in uh, Mount Union's case, they've done it the past two weeks without Scott Panchik, who is uh, their uh, starting running back coming into the season with a, a pair of DNPs the last two weeks because of injury. Uh, Terrence Mooring, Keith, is a, is a name that uh, you know Mount Union fans obviously know very well, but you know people who have followed Mount Union t- through previous Stag Bowls should remember as well. And the last two weeks, uh, 22 carries for 108 yards against Heidelberg and 18 for 126 against Wilmington. Yeah, and those are two performances that are very encouraging for uh, Purple Raiders followers. And that's, you know, the mark of a, of a, a playoff team, a, a dominant team, an elite team, whatever you know adjective you want to use for them. To have that kind of depth, I think, sometimes is what separates the pretty good teams from the really great teams. Because, you know, a lot of good teams have good starters, but, but, to ha- but football season, everyone has injuries, whether they be on the line or at skill positions or, you know, defense or what have you. But the teams that, that can put in another guy like Terrence Mooring, you know, behind Scott Panchik and, and have no drop off in performance, those are the teams that, that are, you know, primed to go far. And Keith, you mentioned, uh, Kurt Rocco in terms of coming of age, just to run down his numbers for the past two weeks, 38 for 54 passing, nine touchdowns against two interceptions and 681 yards passing as Mountain Union uh, continues to roll. They improve to 7-0. and And, of course, that Mount Union-Otterbein game is not coming up this week. It, it won't be until week 10, and we will get uh, you know, uh, some idea of where Otterbein stands truly on the national stage when it goes to going against one of the top teams in the country. Of course, uh, a couple of other uh, big clashes on Saturday uh, with with uh, conference implications and national implications. Uh, one of them, the... The the little brass bell game, which uh, has you know Keith a game that Wheaton dominated for for years and years before North Central uh, started its resurgence the past couple of years, has really turned this game into a uh, into one of those. I mean, it's not going to be one of the elite Big Three rivalry games, but it it's moved its uh, stature up into that second tier. I would have to say, and and not only that, anytime you have a game in a in a big you know, one of, one of our top five conferences and CCIW is right up there with the, uh, you know, with the, the maybe cut below the OAC and the WIAC, but you know, in that group with the, with the American Southwest and Minnesota and New Jersey and, and, and the and Empire Eight sometimes, you know, those top conferences, CCIW is competitive. You know, the past four or five years, it's been three or four teams at the top. You know, they're capable of putting two teams in the playoffs in, in any season. And, uh, yeah, when you have a, a game now that, that's got the rivalry, it's got the trophy, you know, they play it at, at night a lot of times, although they, they play it in the afternoon. It has all the elements of, of you're right, that big second-tier rivalry game. You know, a, a game it kind of reminds me of that we used to we used to say it wasn't a, a, 
historical rivalry, but it, it was always a rivalry for um, for the conference championship was uh, Montclair State and Rowan. You know, in the in early the early part of this decade was was that kind of game where it didn't maybe necessarily have all the pomp and circumstance, but it always had something on the line. And I think the the little brass bell game now. It always has CCIW title implications, you know, the last five seasons at least. And then it, it does have a little bit of that pomp and circumstance now, too. So it is a pretty nice rivalry. And we haven't really known what to make of North Central since you know, way back in week one. They lost at Ohio Northern. And then, you know, they played Benedictine. They played Olivet. They played North Park. Uh, they played Milliken, uh, who's got a 5-2 and two record, but they beat them 58 nothing. Um, you know, they put up 63 points and then gave up 48 to Carthage last week. And for them to come out and uh, and and beat Wheaton and beat Wheaton soundly this week, 27 to seven. You know, remembering everything that North Central is missing due to injury over the course of this season is a uh, is a big sign for them. A, a a sign for them that they've I think they've turned things back around a little bit. Well, Pat, you, you touched on it. You know, we we said the teams, the elite teams, that they're really Solid teams that are primed to go far are teams that can withstand injury. And, and North Central today, you know, the number that stands out, 246 rushing yards, and they do it without Dominic Sula, their top running back. And it's uh, Aaron Fanthorpe, the quarterback, uh, 12 carries for 88 yards. Nick Hicks had 69 yards. Pat Malik had 66. Yeah, Dominic Sulo's out, didn't play on Saturday, was knocked out last week against Carthage, had just eight, uh, had just eight carries. You know, and then... You know, guys that they lost way back at the beginning of the season on the defensive side of the ball. Matt Wenger, who was uh, you know a a, a, a preseason All American and linebacker for them, played just the the first game of the season and hasn't played since. Derek Sulo's uh, a, a defensive back for North Central played the first two games and he's been out and they've had to you know replace some pretty key components on that defensive side. But that's sort of you know when when coaches talk about recruiting in D, in Division Three, they're talking about recruiting numbers. They want to bring in. You know, big class after big class after big class, and then let that competition improve your program. Let let the practice competition. You know, guys are always uh, competing for spots, and then when you, when you're able to do that, like North Central has had that success for for the past few years. Now, when you lose a guy or you lose a couple of players, you can still play at at a pretty high level. And uh, you know, it, I think it helps the, the rest of your team as players to have to be confident in the second string guys or the guys that step in because you feel like. You know, your season doesn't go down the drain at the sight of, of one injury to a key player. And uh, certainly for North Central, season has not gone down the drain, even though they started out first game with that loss to uh, to Ohio Northern. So uh, certainly a, a sign of, of things to come for them. And I think we knew it, Pat, at the time when we saw the, uh, the ONU loss that we really wouldn't get a feel for how North Central bounces back until they play that Wheaton game, because that's really the, the other huge game on their schedule, even though there's lots of tough, tough competition in the CCIW. Yeah, and North Central's not out of the woods yet. They go to Illinois Wesleyan next week. They go to Augustana in Week 10, and then they uh, come back home to host Elmhurst in Week 11, heading into Selection Sunday on November 15th. The one other thing, uh, telling stat, I thought, uh, from the Wheaton-North Central game, which I will just wrap up with, is this. Uh, Wheaton, when uh, it was... Uh, entering the second half, uh, score was 7-7. Game all tied up after the first 30 minutes. They come out in the second half. Uh, they go four and out, one first down, and then punt. Uh, in their On their first possession, they go three and out, three and out, three and out, and three and out for a grand total. Oh, and, and then one more three and out. I'm sorry. So five consecutive three and outs and a, uh, a total of negative four yards of total offense in that time. The other game between uh, top 25 teams 
with uh, ranking implications is uh, Linfield will lam it. Linfield uh, wins that game 30-27. to 27, And, Keith, I guess a little bit misleading in the way the final score ended up. Well, only because, you know, the game was really a 10-point game in the uh, in the final minutes, and Willamette tacked on a, a, an extra touchdown while trying to come back and uh, to make it look like it was a three-point game. But it, it was a close game for, for a good portion of the game, you know, 16-13 at one point in the second half. And uh, Linfield, you know, you talked about it real quickly with North Central being able to, to sort of make those adjustments at halftime and, uh, and assert itself against Wheaton, and I thought Linfield did a little bit of the same against Willamette in the second half. So Keith, now do we know Linfield is for real, or do we not really know until the playoffs? I'd like I'd like to believe they're for real, but you go back to their their big non conference victories, Harden Simmons, and that's a team that struggled throughout the season. And now you you count this Willamette victory as their other big victory, and you know that's also a team that lost a non conference game to Concordia Moorhead in, in the Mayak, which accidental too. That's true, and you're right. There, other there, it's true. Linfield's other big victory is, is Occidental, and that's a team that struggled on Saturday to beat Laverne 14-13. So, uh, you can't you can't ever knock a team that that's playing you know teams from tough conferences and uh, teams that have had success and and winning all their games. But yeah, I think it's going to be a situation where you you know you look at Linfield and until they get that real tough matchup in the playoffs, you just don't quite know what to make of them. We've had, we've had people from out in McMinnville that are close to the program tell us this looks like it has the makings of a special team. And, uh, and certainly, you know, you, you've seen that so far the first, uh, now eight weeks into the season, but you, but you never know how special sometimes a, a team is until they get that real tough opponent week after week in the playoffs. And I guess that's one reason why we, uh, why we love the way the playoffs are set up in division three. We're looking at uh, the, a West bracket that's potentially pretty loaded. Uh, St. John's can still run the table. Central run the table. Linfield could, Linfield could run the table. Wisconsin Whitewater could run the table, and that'd be four undefeated teams in the West bracket. Whereas, you know, elsewhere, we saw Mary Harden Baylor, uh, their unbeaten season bite the dust last week. Uh, this week, Wheaton is clearly no longer going to run the table. Uh, you know, and we have seen in the past where this kind of cascades and they move teams. Uh, across brackets to kind of, you know, balance things out a little bit. Is Are we destined for Mount Union in the East again? Yeah, Pat, you know, you and I have discussed off uh, off tape some different scenarios where a different team could, could maybe be the number one seed in the East, but the problem is there's no real true team in the East that that's that's dominating the season well well enough to say all right that team's definitely going to be one of the top four teams in the country. And we've talked to people on the committee the past couple of years who've said, we're going to get our 32 teams on the board, and then we're going to take the four best and try to make those teams the number one seeds if we can using the you know the 500 mile radius uh, for for you know setting up playoff matchups or playoff brackets. And if you look, Pat, you know you mentioned the the four undefeated teams in the West, and I'll throw a fifth one in there. That's Monmouth, who who's you know got a good chance of going undefeated. Some of those teams, you can't have a, a, a undefeated team be the be the fifth seed if you can help it. You know, some of those teams, St. John's, Whitewater, Linfield Central. Uh, you know, actually, Occidental is another team, right? That that can. Oh, I guess they do have a loss. They they have a loss. So, but you still have teams in the West. You know that more than one team in the West that looks like it has the potential to be a number one seed. Then you look at the geography of it. You can move Whitewater to the north, Mount Union to the east. You could move. Um, St. John's could could be the number one seed in the West, in the West at that point. Central may or may not be close enough, you know, to 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 be a uh, a, a one seed. 
but but really what is is uh making this all possible is sort of the vacuum i guess in the east is you don't you have maybe alfred i guess is is the only team we can think of true eastern team that that has a potential to really go undefeated in a tough conference be a number one seed or we think maybe you know you could import wesley or washington and jefferson if they were to finish undefeated but you really don't have these strong one seeds you know the the strong teams are, are looking like they're mostly from the west and then of course mount union potentially in the north yeah i mean if the question is is there nobody undefeated in the East that can be at the top of a bracket? Well, currently Alfred could do that. Alfred's six and zero in region. Uh, they got a five hundred opponents winning percentage. Their opponents' opponents winning percentage is five ninety three. So that'll kind of move up their strength of schedule ranking a little bit. Um, they still have Ithaca to play, uh, and, and Ithaca uh, will will help that just a little bit, not as much as they would in the past. But you know, it's not. Uh, it hasn't been in the past couple years, Keith, a matter of whether the East has uh, an undefeated team. It's a matter of the committee, and this is how they've described it uh, on the record of, of the past couple years, is they look and they pick out who the best four teams are, and if geography allows them to do so, they separate them into four separate brackets. And I just don't see um, Alfred being among that list. Uh, you know, if... Um, Whitewater's OWP right now is a little bit low. They're going to rebound on that a little bit uh, because they still have Stevens Point to come, uh, and they're the defending national runners-up. And you know that seems to take some some precedence when you're trying to you know rank a, a handful of undefeated teams. Uh, you know, but Central's OWP is better than Alfred's right now. St. John's is just a little bit. Uh, that may or may not hold up uh, over the course of the the final couple weeks. But you know that's. That's three teams in the West alone who are more legitimate number one seed candidates than Alfred is, and I just uh, I I just see it everything kind of drifting uh, drifting eastward. You know, I understand exactly what you're saying, Pat. You also have um, Albright is another team that has the potential to finish uh, undefeated in the, in the East. But you're right; these are teams that are that are not even really they're not even in our top twenty five poll at this point. You know, they're on some people's ballots. But but the chances of of them moving all the way up to to number four, and again, you know, top twenty five is not playoff selection committee criteria, but it sometimes is a pretty good bearing of what teams are the strongest teams in the country. I think when when the top twenty five comes out on uh, on Sunday afternoon, we'll have a chance to look at the top. It's going to be a pretty consistent top four across the board with number three Wheaton now losing to North Central. They're going to drop out of most people's ballots. And your top four is, is almost on everyone's ballot is going to be Mount Union, Whitewater, Wesley, St. John's. If those four teams are the four teams that are deemed to be worthy of the number one seeds in the playoffs, and of course, you know, Mount Union still has to beat Otterbein and everybody else has to finish their schedules out as well. But you would have a situation where you don't Wesley is is the number one team in the south. St. John's I guess would have to be the team in the west. Whitewater would have to be the team in the north and Mount Union would have to be the team in the east if those were your four teams. Yeah, and if you think that Central should be there instead of St. John's, it's very easy to to swap Central to the one spot and move St. John's to the two if you've moved Whitewater out of region. I don't think it really changes anything geographically even the the schools are about Four and a half, five hours apart uh, in the grand scheme of things in the in Division Three football's West Region, that's not a uh, a real significant difference. 
elsewhere this week, uh, Keith, uh, you know, the teams that were kind of the big victors last week, uh, Wittenberg and Mississippi College, they avoided their letdowns, uh, the, the possible letdown coming this week. Yeah, and that's that's important. You know, we mentioned in the triple take when it came to St. John's, you know, having beaten St. Thomas last week. That's another example of a team that's feeling beat the, beat their best opponent, right? Wittenberg beat Wabash, Mississippi College beat Mary Harden Baylor. Now you feel like if you're a member of one of those teams, you feel like, wow, we we beat our our toughest opposition. We're going to win the conference championship. We're going to get into the playoffs. But you still have to finish out strong. You have to play those games and avoid taking any team on your schedule lightly. Wittenberg certainly didn't do that on Saturday. Mississippi College didn't do that on Saturday. St. John's had a little bit of trouble with St. Olaf, but ultimately came away with the victory. And uh, that that's an important, important distinction when, when you're talking about a team that has that big, you know, one team they have to beat to get over the hump, and then they get over that hump. Now you have to, to play, still be hungry. You know, play, you, you, you were hungry all this time up to this big game, and you have to sort of stay that way the rest of the season until you actually finish 9-0, and 10-0, or what have you. Um, you know, on the, on the flip side, and we have, we have skipped a couple of conference uh, showdowns, which uh, if we have time during the rest of the podcast, we will come back to. But uh, on, on the flip side, I, I wanted to touch on this since you talked about uh, teams having to finish out and stay hungry. Uh, what do you do if, you know, if your center who uh, passed its first big test in the SCAC beating DePauw, which is now way, way back many weeks ago, and then uh, go to Millsaps and, you know, I mean, literally, well, not literally, because you, you and I are editors and we don't like that word, but figuratively laid an egg, laid a goose egg and falling 24 nothing to Millsaps. What, what do you do if you're center now? You, you, you focus on the scenario that can help you get into the playoffs. And the, the way you do that is you got to win the rest of your games. Before, before you ask for help anywhere else across the, the board, you have to win the rest of your games. And center has a big one still coming up against Trinity, which, uh, if you look at the top of the SEAC right now, it's not, it's technically not a three-way tie. It's DePaul and Millsaps at four and one in the conference. Center's at three and one. Trinity now has two losses in conference, but that's, that's a trouble team for, for center. Center's going to need to get up for that game and, and, uh, and finish out strong. If center is able to force a, th- a three-way tie, we're in a situation now where, uh, Center's beaten DePaul, DePaul's beaten Millsaps, Millsaps is now beaten center. So there's three-way tie potential there. If, Trinity beats center, DePaul's in good shape because they had that victory over Millsaps. The, uh, we have to look into the, uh, to the three-way tie criteria in the SEAC because it's, uh, it, it varies in, in different conferences and it sometimes varies in the same conference from year to year. They, they use it one time and then they, they didn't like how it turned out. So we'll have to look into that in, in the coming weeks here. But to answer the question, if you're center, you just focus on winning the rest of your games and letting the other chips fall where they may, you know, because they obviously can't control what happens when, you know, I mean, DePaul could certainly stumble, Millsaps could stumble. So you got to win the rest of your games. Here's what I have in front of me for the Southern Collegiate Athletic Conference tiebreaker. And uh, I'm just going to, there's, you know, there's some of the standard head-to-head stuff and uh, games against uh, the rest of the conference. Assuming that all uh, remains in a tie, uh, which I think is what, if we project out a three-way tie, it would have to be that way. If there are still three teams tied with the same number of losses, then the percentage of each team's opponent's total overall record will be used. The team whose opponents have a higher win-loss percentage will receive the automatic bid to the NCAAs. If two teams remain tied throughout any of these tie-breaking uh, procedures, of course, you go back to the top, which is head-to-head. Now, this doesn't say um, this doesn't say regional uh, winning percentage, um, but um, if I'm 
backing up here to my strength of schedule, I think everybody so far has played all regional opponents. Center, uh, through right now, uh, opponents' winning percentage is 514. Millsaps, whoa, 767. And uh, DePauw is at 411. DePauw is going to rise a little bit by playing Wabash, but... Uh, I, and obviously that's a that's a preliminary number and things could change and I might not even be interpreting it correctly but it looks like uh, Millsaps would be in a good position to win a, a three-way tie there. And, and imagine that, Pat, because they would be getting into the playoffs based on playing stronger opponents. However, they didn't win those games that they played. They lost to Mississippi College, which right now is undefeated. They lost to Huntingdon, right, which has one loss right now. So... And uh, I have to throw in Bellhaven too. That's uh, that was a, a non-region game that uh, that Millsaps played, so that'll change that number a little bit. But you, you get you get the point, and I think you hit it straight on the head. One of the reasons why Millsaps' opponent's record is better is because Millsaps' opponents have won a couple of those games. Yeah, and, and so it would be peculiar to say the least that they they would get in based on playing a stronger schedule, which is something that in theory you and I would probably endorse but if they play a stronger schedule and lose and 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 DePaul plays a weaker schedule and 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 wins all their games you know which which is better that's tough to judge (laughs) I don't don't think anybody's come up with the perfect three-way tiebreaker in football when you only play each other once head-to-head no you're right and and when you when it's like being on the bubble when you get to a three-way tiebreaker you can't complain because you should have won all your games if you if you didn't get in a uh a tiebreaker situation. If you didn't lose a game, you know you wouldn't be in a tiebreaker. So, um, you, in a way, you can't complain. Uh, and and to be honest, Center and DePaul might both have uh, have a good opportunity at uh, at being one loss Pool C teams if, if Millsaps does take it out. And and as we like to do in a podcast, we're speculating, we're getting ahead of ourselves. But all three of those teams are are still in the mix. And uh, and really, Millsaps is the only one that's not in the mix for an at large bid. We uh, touched on this earlier, of course. Uh, we mentioned Alfred in passing, but Alfred uh, defeats St. John Fisher, passes the first of its two tests, uh, the, the, you know, at least the two by national standards big tests. They still have Ithaca yet to come, but uh, having uh, beaten St. John Fisher it gives them a little bit of legitimacy now for that undefeated record. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, we've kind of touched on this going back to kickoff, really, and then we mean the, the preseason publication, not the, the first kick of the season, although I guess that fits too. Alfred, ha- talented as any Alfred team has been, and they've been an eight-win team, you know, averaging eight wins over the past five seasons, but haven't, hadn't been able to, uh, to win the Empire 8, hadn't been able to get in the playoffs. This, this could be the year, we said, at the beginning of the year, and it looks like now you beat St. John Fisher. You still have to, to, to win the rest of the Empire 8 games, but they're looking as strong as they've ever looked. And, and finally, this this could be the year for them to get in. And, you know, we talked earlier in the podcast about them being a number one seed or, or not having an opportunity to be a number one seed. You know, they would be would be pleased to get in and have an opportunity to prove themselves against the best teams in the country. Uh, the other big conference clash, the Heartland Conference between Mount St. Joseph and Franklin. Mount St. Joseph comes up with the W. You know, we, we talk about um, moving Mount Union out and moving Whitewater in. Uh, in doing so, you know, we're implicitly ignoring a handful of unbeaten teams that are in the north. Uh, they are Mount St. Joseph, uh, Wittenberg, and Case Western Reserve. And I just wanted to uh, crunch the numbers and point out that uh, Mount St. Joe's opponent's winning percentage is 355. Wittenberg's is 350. 
and cases is 296. So I think that's the reason why uh, they're not really considered serious number one seed potential right now. Yeah, yeah, we're not just saying guys don't teams don't play tough schedules subjectively. You know, there's numbers there to back it up, and these are the same numbers that the selection committee will use to uh, to make that selection. But on top of saying that, Mount Saint, I thought there were two teams going into this this week that weren't getting any love in in the polls and had an opportunity to to come up with that big victory that opens a few eyes as far as voters are concerned in Mount St. Joseph by beating Franklin, which was ranked 22nd this week. Uh, they, they did that. Now they're good. People are going to have to start considering them, uh, you know, as a team to move into the polls, especially with center losing, they're probably going to drop out. And I thought the other team that had the opportunity to, to open some eyes the same way Wittenberg did last week, right? Against Wabash, they win that game. All of a sudden they're a top 25 team, right? They got a legitimate victory. I thought the other team that had the opportunity to do that on Saturday was Plymouth State, and they uh, they lost twenty to nine to Curry. Yep, Plymouth State last year, of course, beat Curry, ended up winning the NEFC title. Curry got in as an at-large team, and that's the the only time that uh, the NEFC has ever gotten two teams into the NCAA tournament. You know, Keith, when you started talking about uh, team getting absolutely no love in the rankings, the first thing that ca- that came to mind was Rowan, the team who is six and one. With just one vote, one twenty-five, one number twenty-five spot on one voter's ballot in last week's top twenty-five. Obviously, that's going to change this week. But uh, I, I was wondering for your thoughts on Rowan, because I think you and I can uh, both disclose that uh, Rowan was not on our ballots last week. Yeah, and and part of the reason is because there's been that logjam at the top of the uh, at the NG, NJAC, and so you have to sort of figure out which team is the. Uh, is the team you you know you you vote for, or is there two or three teams? And it, it's weird, you know. This week's poll, to be honest with you, Pat, no no teams from from the New Jersey Athletic Conference, no teams from the Empire Eight ranks, and uh, I want to say there might have been a third pretty serious conference that didn't have any teams ranked, and uh, but I can't think of it off the top. But but those are the things that sort themselves out over the course of a season. And as Rowan continues to keep its foot on the gas, you know, putting up big numbers, big points against uh, the bottom half teams in the in the uh, NJAC. They'll get a chance to close out against the teams they they traditionally close out against uh, Kane and Montclair State, and uh, those will be the games this season that uh, that that decide the automatic qualifier and uh, and decide which teams from that conference end up being ranked. Yep, there are five teams in the New Jersey Athletic Conference through Saturday's games that have an overall record of over 500. Uh, of those five teams, obviously one of them is Rowan, so that's four left. Another one is Cortland State, and that's the team that Rowan lost to. So that there's three left. Those three teams, the only other teams with a winning record on Rowan's schedule, are the three teams that Rowan finishes with next week. Uh, the last three weeks at Kane, which is six and one, hosting Montclair State, which is six and one, and then hosting College New Jersey, which is is currently four and three. So Rowan hasn't beaten a team with a winning record. Yeah, they've been blitzing the doors off of people. Um, you know, they won at William Patterson by 15. William Patterson's three and four. Uh, they blew out Brockport State by 36. Brockport's two and five. Uh, they, they beat Western Connecticut 72 to 14. Western Con is one and six. Buff State 57 to seven on Saturday. Buff State is one and six. And Morrisville 67 to nothing last week. And Morrisville's one and seven. Yeah, I, I think Pat, that's that's an important responsibility of of being a voter in the in the D3Football.com top twenty five is to take a look at not just the team's record, 
six and one in Rowan's case, but to look at how they got to be six and one. And, uh, and certainly it doesn't stack up with, uh, you know, with some of the other one loss teams, the one that, that comes to mind in the East as a good comparison is Delaware Valley, which has played Wesley, which has, uh, beaten Kane already, uh, played John Hop, Johns Hopkins, which is a team that's, you know, one of the top teams in the, uh, in the, uh, Centennial. So, you know, you, you, you get to that number, that record different ways. And sometimes you have to, to, to compare those teams. Speaking of, uh, of Delaware Valley, I, I believe they've got, um, Albright coming up, if not this week, the following week. And, uh, that's Albright is another team that, that we talked about in the same vein as M- Mount St. Joseph, Wittenberg before last week. And, uh, and Plymouth State was the other one we thought had an opportunity. Albright is another team that could work its way into the top 25, hadn't lost a game yet. And, uh, just, not on anybody's uh, radar so far, really, as far as top 25 voters are concerned. Not not a whole lot, anyway. Um, Delaware Valley's certainly getting uh, more love right now, and I think that's from having you know, played and beaten the teams that you talked about. Uh, Albright uh, beat Western Connecticut, beat Ursinus, uh, beat Pace, which is a, a D2 team, but usually uh, Division three squads have a, a pretty uh, good success rate against them in the past. That Albright-Delaware Valley game comes up in Week 10, the same week, as we have the uh, Otterbein Mount Union game, so a, a couple of good games to watch a couple of weeks uh, further down the field. Uh, coming up next week, uh, of course, we have an opportunity for Monmouth to clinch the automatic qualifier out of the Midwest Conference if they beat Illinois College, uh, then they will be in, or if... Uh, you know, if they get some help from St. Norbert losing, uh, Monmouth can also get in as well. Uh, Whitewater is at Stevens Point. Uh, the, uh, the the showdown between the two unbeaten teams in the President's Athletic Conference. A couple teams, especially Thomas Moore, who we haven't talked about a whole lot this year. Thomas Moore is at W&J that week. Um, North Central is at Illinois Wesleyan. Salisbury is at Wesley in the, uh, the, the U.S. 13 rivalry um, for, you know... I, I would say for lack of a better term, but of course that's actually what they call it, so that's the that's the term to go with. Um, and then uh, uh, Alfred is hosting Rochester uh, a week before they uh, they play Ithaca, so those are the games coming up next week. Yeah, and and you know maybe got a little spoiled by how how competitive the games were this week here in week eight, but you get to the point in week nine where some of the games are are still big games with conference implications, and then you know there are games like the one you mentioned with Monmouth, of course, where uh, where you you have a team now beginning teams now beginning to start clinch their way into the playoffs, or uh, or teams that will have that one game, you know, as in the Presidents Athletic Conference, that one game that pretty much decides. Who's going to take the automatic bid? And uh, and since right now Thomas Moore and uh, and W and J are both undefeated, you know those those teams. The sec the team that loses that game uh, won't be on on track for the automatic bid, but will probably drop into that Pool C group that that we'll start talking about for at large playoff spots. There are six Pool C spots, uh, three Pool B spots, and we haven't talked a whole lot about Pool B this year, Keith. But uh, you know, I think it's probably because Pool B is pretty. Uh, I don't want to say cut and dried, but. Cut and dried was, was was the phrase I was coming. I, I was would have came out of my mouth if, if I had been talking. So don't feel bad about that. There's uh you know we're, we talk about Wesley as a as a number one seed candidate. I, I think Wesley's it, it may well be in the playoffs even with a loss against Salisbury. That's the only uh, regional game they have left. Um, Huntington right now five and zero in region. Uh, five ninety three opponents winning percentage. What they end up with uh, down the stretch is home to LaGrange and then at Birmingham Southern. 
you know, certainly if, if Huntington loses both of those games, then you kind of have to reevaluate. And then uh, we've mentioned Case Western Reserve. Um, you know, they're undefeated. Their strength of schedule isn't very good, but, uh, you know, compared to, um, you know, what you're looking at underneath there, I, uh, underneath that, i got to go pretty far down the list, Keith, before I stumble across another Pool B team. I, I mean, I see SUNY Maritime here at 6-0 and in region, but 6-2 and overall. Um, you know, I don't know if the if the Husson game is in region or not. It it doesn't seem like it is. I will know better maybe if we see regional rankings that help us out. But um, you know, by the book, it's not supposed to be a regional game because that conference isn't a conference isn't a, a a D3 conference yet. So if you skip down past them, you know, I'm hitting page down <laughs> multiple times in this uh, list of strength of schedule before I get down to. Greenville at four and two with a five ninety two OWP or Lagrange at four and two with a four eighty five. Um, you know, Lagrange has had some games where they didn't look very good, say that game against Wesley, but they still have Huntington ahead of them, so you know I, I just don't see I don't see it. Yeah, I mean you can make the same case for Greenville. I think they lost forty to fourteen to Huntington. And uh you know, I I don't know if if we need to talk a whole lot about Pool B because it looks like three teams in a situation where if they if they play the way they're capable of playing down the stretch, you know, you don't see any big stumbling blocks for for any of the three of them. T- to be quite honest, you know, Wesley has to take care of Salisbury, but but this hasn't been Salisbury's best season, and uh, and Wesley's looked pretty sharp, you know, for for the most part. And uh, yeah, yeah, Case Western I think is 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 rolling right now. Looks like that they. No reason why they can't finish undefeated, and uh, and Huntington, you know, you had to wonder about them playing the, the schedule they played, but but beating Millsaps and uh, and their only loss being to a, a Wisconsin intercollegiate athletic team uh, in in UW Oshkosh, you know that that says a lot about the 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 uh, the way they've played this season. You know, and I think Huntington Huntington's strength of schedule definitely benefits from not being in the SLEAC anymore and from uh, dropping, I guess if a correctly maybe three SLEAC teams and picking up uh, teams such as Louisiana College, Millsaps, Birmingham Southern in region, and then Oshkosh out of region. Yeah, I think the interesting thing is though they had to play whoever would play them. You know, whoever had an open week, Huntington was in a situation where they, they were in a conference last year, had their schedule made and all of a sudden lost the whole you know, lost that conference and, and now had to fill in its schedule. But to, to add games against whoever would take a game against you and then to beat those teams, to beat the Louisiana College, to beat the Millsaps, now that that's, that says a lot about that program. And we've thought for a while, you know, that they were on the right track, but physically they didn't match up against teams like Wesley and, and Oshkosh. And so now they're starting to, to, to play teams from those strong conferences and match up with them. You know, maybe that's, that's a, a team that you have to look out for if they do get in the playoffs. Keith, what you writing about next week? I am not writing this week. Tell us, tell us more about that. Well, well, we've been we've been for the past couple of weeks now and around the nation soliciting um, people's best memories. You know, we've we've done the 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 ten best series uh, most weeks, and um, this is sort of an extension of that. Just just asking people what their best memories are of the. The only caveat is has to have taken place in the uh, since D3 launched in 19, D3football.com launched in 1999 and it, it could be from uh, from any angle and uh, we're still taking uh, submissions if you're listening to the podcast you, we know you're a diehard fan so uh, you know anything interesting that's happened along the years a great road trip a, a coaching call you know a game you know something like like for me it would be maybe you know playing a game in the rain you know beating a conference rival and, and being at the bottom of the pile 
you know, when, when we celebrate a victory, something like that. But, but the funny thing is in division three, there's so many perspectives. We talk to the players and we talk a lot to the coaches, but there, there's so many people around the programs, whether they're big fans or, or people that, that work on game days, one way or the other, that, that follow these teams with all their heart and, uh, and, and have seen, you know, have interesting stories to tell. So we'd like to hear them. And hopefully, uh, this week's column, we can, uh, take some of your best stories and edit them into, uh, something everyone will enjoy reading. And if you're listening and you have a story and you want to contribute, uh, send it to info at d3football.com. That's I-N-F-O at d3football.com. He's Keith McMillan. I'm Pat Coleman, uh, wrapping up our Super Size uh, Around the Nation podcast, which thankfully I have an extra day to edit this week. Uh, coming up later, of course, uh, Statistical Spotlight, and then we'll have Around the Region. We'll have our Team of the Week, which will come out uh, on Tuesday. Um, Keith's Around the Nation column, and then we get back into Week 9 action next week. 